Then I shake it up in the shimmy, shimmy shaker and let it brew real nice. And that's what makes Sachet's Shimmy Shimmy Cocoa Bop a flavorful mixed blend of roots, blues, folk, bluegrass, country, zydeco, jump blues, and good old rock and roll. Shake your booty every Thursday night from 8 to 9, following Our Wolf's Face the Music with me, Sashay Delmonico. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Stephen Rush is here in the studio um, with me, the book on the table with us, uh, Stephen Rush's book, Free Jazz, Harmelotics, and Ornette Coleman, um, out this year with Routledge. Hmm. Um, Steve, welcome to Living Writers. Thank you. Thanks for going down to the station today. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for picking the, the music. Can you, just to start off, can you talk a little bit about what we were just hearing? <laughs> <laughs> and and why we were dancing in our heads? Dancing yeah. in your head, yeah. Which is um, really a, a phrase that means enlightenment. You know, dancing in your head. And... Um, yeah, it's it's um it's it's kind of cool to think about Ornette as being a fusion artist, you know, and he really really was in a lot of ways. And and the fusion there was the the Jajuka musicians that are playing this kind of cluttered drum stuff that you hear in the background and then you got this so-called free jazz, that's kind of not a great term, but the free jazz uh electronic band with two guitars and bass and Ronald Shannon Jackson playing drums and stuff, and Ornette doing this bluesy, folky. I mean, it's almost excuse the French, but it's almost like a little girl's, you know, song to skip rope to. You know, it's cute. It is. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's something you might it's mock happy. somebody on in, during uh, recess. You know, uh, <laughs> and then and then and then. You know, <laughs> it's it's really it's just darling, is what it is. So yeah. yeah, if it's the soundtrack in your head, things can't be all bad. <laughs> Unless someone's mocking you with it, then yeah, things there you go. A, I don't know. Sort of Somebody a... mocks me and goes, nah, 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 nah. "I'm going to feel just, good." Yeah, no, yeah. We all have that now. Thank yep, you. Yep. And so, and it's like keen into enlightenment. Then this mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. and this feeling. Yeah, ecstasy. 
Yeah. And so, and what about what time was this? What part of Ornette Coleman's career did this? Well, that this tune comes up in a lot of ways because he called it theme from a symphony, and he recorded a version of it with the London Symphony, and um, it, it's in the seventies, and it goes on and on and on, and he kept doing it, you know, throughout. So it's a tune that that keeps coming up as sort of a. Well, I, we tend to think of Ornette Coleman. We go, oh yeah, Lonely Woman. That's his thing, you know. But um, but it's so much, so much. Yeah, so much more. And so many years. Yeah, yeah, a lot of years. Well, and I think that's one one little weird surprise. Um, just to, I don't know. I, I guess we are talking about the book. Um, Let's kick things no, off but, uh, with a weird one, surprise. Well, one weird surprise <laughs> about the book is that the book ended up being about race, and I did not think it was going to be. I thought it was going to be more about his music and his theories about music. Um, you know, he's got this term harmelotics, which <laughs> all the all the musicians that I've I ta- I've talked to over the years that played with Ornette just go, dude, can you explain harmelotics because we don't get it? And we played with him for ten years or twenty or whatever, or we toured with him in Japan. We still don't know. I lived with Ornette, but I still don't know. And um, so there was. And even Routledge, the the publisher, said, "Well, you need to make sure that there's a concrete definition of harmonics. You know, like concrete. A, yeah. Well, good luck, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about explain love to me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, it's a five. You know, <laughs> like what? 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 You know, whatever. People. Anyway, in the in the book, there's because you you said the, this trigger phrase for me was um, kind of over a long period. Ornette, because of the time he lived, he really did span most of the civil rights movement. Not that it's over, but honestly, people. But (laughs) um, in terms of what happened in Ornette's life around the time of Rosa Parks or MLK or, you know, you can really trace all these these things. Um, And you map it out in the book, too. Yeah, there's a a whole timeline there. You got it. Yeah, you got it. And, And it's. As I said in the book, it's a parlor game. I don't mean this, you know, like, oh, well, so he won the this medal or he got the Lillian Gish thing on the same date that Bill Clinton signed this other thing. I'm not saying those things are... Oh, Cosmically um, connected? Yeah, I know. What's the term? Uh, causal or they're correlative but not causal. There we go. I did it. Very yeah, nice. I know. I sound like a professor <laughs> Wait, suddenly. Yeah, let me... Hold on. Let me read <laughs> your bio because it's oh, traditional boy. from the back. Good luck back, with that one. The book from, so the book on the table with us, as I said, folks, is Free Jazz Harmelotics, which we'll hear more of, and Ornette Coleman mm-hmm. um, by Stephen Rush. Um, Stephen Rush is a professor of music at the University of Michigan. That is also true. <laughs> and that's 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 the bio. Wow. So so and you said that Routledge was they're sort of known for their their brief bios. Their terseness. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of like, well, does he know what he's doing? Yeah, he's a professor at University of Michigan. Well, that would be pretty much mean maybe he doesn't. But <laughs> I don't know. I I've, I've been here thirty years, so I can say that. But um Yeah, thirty years. Yeah, somebody's gotta do it. But um but but well, yeah. let's, well you know what let's let's think first because we're let's have this conversation go everywhere I think that would be wonderful <laughs> and the right beautiful guy. thing right um, we'll talk harmonically <laughs> and figure out what it is right Uh-oh. we know it's not five <laughs> <Yeah>. nor <laughs> or that was love it's but, five and three that's the <laughs> really that pretty much sums it up in two quartets <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah. 
Well, can you, t- so since this book itself is, is centering on Ornette Coleman, would you mind um, telling us the story of like how, how you met him, how this, how this all started <laughs> mm-hmm. for you? Yeah. And, and then maybe we can move to like thinking about <laughs> harmelotics, maybe we'll yeah. have and, some. And world peace. And yes. Because <laughs> yeah. that really is what harmelotics is about in all, in all seriousness. But, um, and equality. Well, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Right? The, well, one one begets the other, I guess. The um, principle of human equality. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it was it was really a kind of a funny thing because I was asked by I guess it was the acting provost at the time to endorse or not a uh, candidate for an honorary doctorate and I didn't. I said, "Um, don't nominate that person who should really remain anonymous. And um, should I press you here? No, no. <laughs> you can't get it out of me. I won't say it. Um, there will be tears. No, no there would be lawsuits. Okay. <laughs> well, then carry on. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. My lawyer's got so much else to do. But um, no, it, it. But I just said instead, why don't you think about somebody that's really seminal to the field, who's made a contribution philosophically as well as musically, um, and who did something radically different, who didn't just codify the genre, but really furthered it into, you know, the future, like, say, Ornette Coleman. And uh, the, the, I believe he was the acting provost at the time, he, it was Homer Neal. He emailed me back the same day. And he said, oh, well, can you tell me more about Ornette and why you think that makes sense. And he was totally into it, totally into the idea. And I thought, Homer, that's my main man. Yeah. This is awesome. And um, at that time, Jerry Allen, the fantastic pianist, um, her office was right next to mine. So she um, she ended up talk, talking with Homer and with Ornette, who she had recorded with, because they did the Sound Museum records together. Um and we we worked it out, and it was really, really heavy because Ornette was given the honorary doctorate at the same time as Barack Obama. So, like, are you kidding me? I'm sitting there going, whoa, so there's, there's B.O. up there, and there's O.C., and this is a good day for the world and for the U of M. And, so oh, lucky man. that... Yeah, it just it was really really something. And and Ornette, I had dinner with him after lunch, I guess after after the the big inauguration thing, you know. And um, he, I said, well, what was it like to be you know be up there on the dais with with Barack Obama? And he said, I could tell you it was great. I could tell you it didn't happen. And then he just trailed off. <laughs> Like, that's how heavy that's, he was. Yeah, you know? that's, like, that's, oh. that doesn't surprise me. Uh-huh. <laughs> After Free Jazz, Harmelotics, and Ornette Coleman. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the way he, he rolled, you know? And then and then he proceeded to eat his salad harmelotically. Like, he took all of his salad dressings and then combined them on the salad at the same time. And, you know, like that first track we listened to, that's sort of that. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, this salad is a lot of dressings. I mean, what is going on? Is it a rock band? But is it a, you know, North African drum circle? Is it a children's chant? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that keeps happening. Like, I I joke in, in one of the explanations of harmelotics in the book, I talk about a, a theory music theory student saying, well, there's this beautiful piece called 
P-E-A-C-E piece from the album Shape of Jazz to Come. And it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous piece. And I love that title, The Shape of Jazz to Come. Well, there you go. It's not arrogant at all. <laughs> or militant. Oh, let's yell. we got to talk about this. It's militant But anyway, don't hell. forget the story. Well, no. We gotta, the, okay. Yeah. Well, the story's, the story's fun because the story says, the teacher asks the class, so is Peace by Ornette Coleman, is it in B? Is it in, or is it in D? Or is it in G? Or is it in C? Or is it in... Uh, D and E and the student raises his hand I know I know I know yes and the teacher <laughs> says them. you get an A <laughs> like nice job way to go yeah it is all of them so it's five and three <laughs> and so and, and so in the book when you present that that story mm-hmm. I think you present it as if it it didn't happen like it's like right. the teacher so and so is that it has was happened. it you it happened yeah. in my were class you, were you the teacher <laughs> yeah. yeah okay yeah because okay. I mean from time to time actually I test drove this book um here here in town uh at U of M because my 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 boy Andy Bishop was on sabbatical, and he said, "Dude, would you teach my uh, my jazz improv class for me?" And I said, "Oh, cool! I'll I'll teach harmonics and I'll teach um, blues, basically." And and so I, you know, we we did really in depth analysis of some of these pieces, which these students were like. Whoa! Did you have Matt Endhall in that class? Matt Endhall was that? Yeah. Matt, no, Matt was my student before that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because he's he's worked with you on the book, right? Right. He did the beautiful transcription. Hi, Matt, if you're listening out there. Oh yeah, (laughs) he did the Shape of Jazz, uh, Shades of Jazz uh, transcription, which is endless, endless. And I think he did the Paul Blade uh, transcription as well. Uh, No, no, I'm sorry, he did. Well. I'm I'm not sure. Well, but, oh, but, I know he did the Keith Jarrett thing, and that's oh, that's because okay. that was really oh, right. controversial. Okay. That was because Keith said, "Well, you can use my stuff." I mean, Keith was the only one that was a little bit, you know, hedging a bit. That that's a nice way to say it. And um, but he said, "You know, I don't know about the notation of that one measure." And I thought, really? I, it's so it's so cool that like Keith was invested enough to actually look at it. You right? Know? Like so- he was digging it. Because everybody else is just kind of like, eh, no harm, no foul. Leave me alone. <laughs> but you did, you test ran the book because in the book you also include in the back a syllabus, for yep. one, a one semester syllabus. So yeah. was that, that was it. Then. Right, exactly. Well, and and part of the crazy strategy here is the is the, maybe the egotistical notion that the book could actually be some kind of jazz textbook of the future, you know, because usually this music is thought of, I mean, that's, that's part of the argument of the book, right? Is that this music is just so out there or it's those crazy people that, oh, they're high and they're just playing weird stuff, man, you know, and I'm, but you're my, like, no, there's a system. Well, my, yeah, which is a really interesting code word, right? Because like, if there's a system, then you just generate crap, <laughs> or you got shtick, as opposed to no, I'm intelligent, right? And I've thought this through very carefully, which we we tend to talk about Western European male white music as having systems, right? Because only those people can come up with systems, mm. but black people can't come up with systems. Well, yeah, of course they can. Right. Hello. Right. So ask the ask the third pharaoh if he could come up with a system of economic development right, or right. education. But yeah, there's this notion that um well anyway, my editor just said, you know, 
dude, you can't use intelligence on every page. And you can't use brilliance on every page because I was overusing the word intelligence talking about the, the compositional style or the especially in the analysis of the improvisations. It is astonishing. This stuff holds together like, you know, I've, I went to a pretty snooty conservatory, Eastman School of Music and all that, you know, took all his theory classes and whatnot. And I've, I've taught Schubert and I've taught Mozart. You've got Wagner. your credentials. Yeah, well, or or just the wounds, <laughs> whatever you want to call yes, it. fair enough. But I, I can say that the organization of these solos that are included in this book are just as organized as any of that music. And I'm going to go one step further and just say that if you say they aren't, you're freaking racist. And that, you know, I don't think that's been said loudly enough and carefully enough by academics. And, you know, if I'm an academic, well. Well, and you are. Poo. I know. I, mean, I know. You're, I've, you're part of it. I'm no, feeling the pain. I, well, <laughs> well it's, it's, it's bad news and it's good, right? Uh, you know, it's like, let's, let's take a short break on that and we'll cool. come back to talk about more bad news and good news. <laughs> Today on the program, Stephen Rush is here. Free Jazz, Harmelodics, and Ornette Coleman. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We've got Steph behind the glass. We'll be back. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. Today on the program, Stephen Rush is here on Living Writers. Um, free jazz, harmonics, and Ornette Coleman. And there's so much more ahead. I don't, I don't, I'm going to fit it all in. Ah! Can you say something about what we just were hearing? What was in our ears? Yeah, we were hearing peace. And I mean that as a double entendre because <laughs> we were hearing the sound of the piece called p-e-a-c-e but i think we were also hearing ornette's um sonification of what he thought of as peace like as in the phrase world peace you know um 
I'm just going to get geeky for a minute and say that that piece um, of music, <laughs> it's so weird when you're talking about a piece called Peace, um, but it, it starts with a kind of you know jazz groove, like kind of a slow, almost something that, you know, people are familiar with kind of blue and miles and that kind of vibe, like the slower jazz stuff from the late, late 50s. But then it stops, which is nuts. And then it starts again, and it stops, and it starts again. And every time it starts again, it goes into a different key, which is antithetical to everything we know about, you know, writing music with a key signature and all this stuff. And yet you listen to it and go, oh, it's, it's sweet. It's not creepy or acerbic or foreign or strange or atonal or whatever, you know, these right. terms we we right. have for things we don't like. It's not discordant or dissonant. No, it didn't even sound experimental. No. Even though it, it, it clearly really is. is. On yeah. its core level, it's yeah. it's outrageous because like we were just talking about, it's in all these keys. Right. And the metaphor there is really ultimately what harmonics is about is that all of those keys belong and all those keys together make sense in the same way that every one of us belongs and every one of us makes sense together without all of us that's a problem so it's it's the collaboration between each of those identities together that makes the the whole really really work and so, yeah, it's, but that, that is harmonics, you know, at its core. And peace as well. Yeah. When it gets into names, um, you know, we have these names about key areas and, oh, this is a D and this is an E. And a lot of times when you, um, when academics especially talk about, um, I mean, I had a teacher <laughs> who shall also remain nameless. I'm too kind. But um, anyway, and I asked him about Ornette. He said, oh, Ornette just didn't understand transposition. Well, and I well, said, there's a chapter on that. <laughs> yeah, there kind of is. And and so the the thing is for, for you know, kind of like, I won't say serious musicians, but uh, musicians that understand transposition, they know that if you play a C on the trumpet, you're actually playing... Well, if you're playing a, a concert C, you're actually playing a, a D. It's all this stuff about, like, well, if you're playing a... But on a, another instrument, it yeah. would be a different... Well, if you're playing uh, French horn, you play a letter. C, you're actually playing an F. Right. If you're playing a piano and you play a G, you're actually playing a G. But what Ornette said was that all these, all these tones and all these notes are different based on who you are and what your soul is, what your motion force is. And you're playing the same note, he said, playing the same note for a different reason. And now that gets into the whole slave thing about naming and changing people's names. And then it gets into the the civil rights movement when a lot of black folk were changing their names like Sun Ra's name was Sonny Blount. You know, like, well, why did he change his name to an Egyptian god or let the sound of God? Right. Le Sonny Ra. That's a the good Sun Ra. That's some name. Yeah, yeah. Well, or when Lou Alcindor became Kareem Abdul Jabbar, suddenly the press didn't want to talk to him anymore. Muhammad Ali went seven years in his prime without boxing. What is that about? Right. You know, well, Okay, so it's we powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also saying I will not be called by my slave name anymore to the point where 
um, a lot of folks would say, a lot of black folks would say, all right, I'm just going to change my name to X, mm-hmm. you know, as in Malcolm X. Um, so that naming stuff when it comes to pitch is really, really heavy because the, the names are things that you get put on to things that put them into a category. To, yeah, to try to control them. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, so... As Desmond Tutu would say, you know, so you no longer can use the toilets because you're of that and you're from that. And, you know, this is a problem, right? Right. (laughs) Right. And so as a side note, then, because you interviewed Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Well, I hung out with him a number of times. I've been lucky. Yeah, I've been really lucky. But yeah. Yeah. And and he's got this whole thing. I mean, every time he's he, he gives a speech or a sermon he's so funny he points out points to everybody goes you know god loves you and god loves you and god loves you and god loves you and he just goes around until you're like okay okay we got it we got but then he says and this is what really is confusing a chubby short black guy from africa with a flat nose god loves me <laughs> and everybody just laughs but the the point is so heavy because that is exactly the argument that he used against de Klerk to disassemble apartheid and he wrote oh, this great book called rainbow um rainbow people of god and it's it's a bunch of letters and they're hilarious but they're heavy, but is they're good the, theology. Did he write them with the Dalai Lama? Are those no, the no, no, no? That That's that before that. Oh, it's yeah, oh, okay. yeah, way before okay. that. Oh, I have to. I've got some reading to do. Oh uh, yeah, well, More you know, reading. it's 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 just you know just a bunch of sermons and it's just a bunch of stuff about Jesus and love and you know stuff and also human rights. <laughs> and, and so, and why were you the like? Why did you have these occasions to hang out with him? Were you well, working towards human about, rights? Were you working on no? It's all about Canterbury peace? House. <laughs> Peace movement. Oh, I was doing oh. jazz masses at Canterbury House, and um, we we did a we did a bunch of conferences. We did one down in North Carolina, one in Houston, and and Archbishop Tutu was there, hanging out. and And I'm just nuts enough to go up to somebody like Desmond Tutu and say, "You know what? Your Bill Cosby impression is horrible," <laughs> and he would laugh and laugh. And I'd say, "But that sweater, that's happening, dude." <laughs> I asked him to go fishing. I, you know, why not? Right? He's a a person. He's a serious person. Like, yeah. but a silly person as well. I invite everybody uh, to to see his clips on John Stewart. Is that's the funniest thing you're ever going to watch? John Stewart said, "You are the funniest person I've ever interviewed." <laughs> like this guy who grew up and worked around death nonstop. Are you kidding me? You know, so like. You can rise above, I guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, and humor, I think, shows and like I don't know. It's one way to survive it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, amongst and tragedy with intelligence, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so okay. So thinking about <laughs> let's. So what do we let's talk World about peace, that again? Human yeah. rights. Yeah. Yay. Well, because well, you also <laughs> yeah. Well, your biography, though short, on the back of. Of your book mm-hmm. <laughs> is long if people go to your website. I guess so. And there's lots. If they dare. To, yeah, dare, <laughs> dare, everybody dare. But um, yeah, because you were you were in India for a peace conference. Um, well, so I go to is, India I'm, every year with 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 students. You know, so yeah, like since 2005, I, I've taken over 130 students to India, and they all came back. So you know, that's what well, that's something. But yeah, I was 
lucky enough to be asked to do like a keynote at a couple of beast conferences there. And it was cool because like, there's swamis and Zen people and nuns and, you know, Janes and everything, you know. And there I am up there reading about, oh, and mostly stuff from the Gita and uh, the Yoga Sutras. Because yep. you're practicing... I'm a Hindu. Yeah. In town and for mm-hmm. years, right? Yep. As long as you've been teaching? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Well, no, I mean, because I, I, I worked at Canterbury House as an Episcopalian guy, you know, but the Episcopalian Church kind of the epi, E-P-I part of that is whew, out there, right, all the way. And um, many paths to the same truth. Mm-hmm. That's at the core of that mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's not just like let's go bully people into believing one thing or the other. Uh, it's just that I really took it to heart. And I think all those times to India, my teacher is singing about Rama or Saraswati, and I'm like, you know, I'm starting to feel the groove here, man. You feel you it know? on the inside. Yeah. 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 Well, and it also felt a little disingenuous to do all this. I mean, I've been singing Carnatic music since 1991, so... Like okay, it'd be a little weird to sing all what these is, things. What is Carnatic? South South Indian music mm-hmm. uh, from Karnataka. <laughs> so I wonder. Well, I wonder if it's in the music of that, then it becomes you. Yeah. Well, there's no question. There's no question at all. I mean, it's it's sort of the like hymns, you know. Like there, there's a certain embodiment about that, you know. Yeah, it's soul force. I mean, one of the first conversations I had with Ornette was just about emotion and um, how how the emotion of the listener and the emotion of the performer need to merge into one, which is kind of an old Black Baptist Church phenomenology. You know, it's really it's really not necessarily from that because I mean I think the roots are in Africanist tribal music where everyone belongs to the situation. Everyone's a drummer, everyone's a dancer, everyone's a singer, and you're all there. You know, everybody needs to be there, you know, five and three. (laughs) It's that thing. You know, everybody is, is singing or dancing or drumming and maybe for a different reason, but they're all there together. And nobody's soloing and everybody's soloing. There you go. Roy Haynes. You do. You got you. That's the Roy Haynes. solo. that's the Roy Haynes comment. Yeah. Which is a great definition of harmelotics. Um, I mean, it's a very, you know, ninth ward street beat New Orleans vibe too. You know, like, well, we're all playing near my, near my God to thee, but we're all playing near my God to thee the way it's happening for us personally. And we're all playing it together at the same time. So we're playing off each other but we're also contributing in a way that's autonomous and um what authentic to our own experience of what that means you know so i mean when i play near my god to thee i'm playing i'm i'm summoning all kinds of things about my own past and my own present and my own future at the same time you know that's that's a beautiful thing <laughs> yeah We'll take a short break and then we'll come back. Um, Today on Living Writers, Stephen Rush is here. His book, Free Jazz, Harmelotics, and Ornette Coleman. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
welcome back. If you're just tuning in, um, happy you did, because today Stephen Rush is here. Uh, we're talking about his book, Out with Routledge, this year, Free Jazz, Harmelotics, and Ornette Coleman. Um, so, Steve, hmm. what? How did this? Well, do you want to say so, a, a word about the music before we move oh, into we just like, like a, to. yeah, it's yeah. family reunion. Yeah, it's this fun <laughs> calypso free jazz thing. <laughs> it's also the transcription of the solo is found on page two twenty four in the book. If you want it, you know. But yeah, and, and that that's what's fun. I think I would hope to some people um, about the book. And I, I know that there are people listening that have the book and just open it up to page 224. But yeah. um, but what's fun is that you can actually listen along. And because the ubiquity of music now, thanks to you know various media um, availability, you can get these recordings you know without having to hunt them down. Back in the old days, I would hitchhike from Lansing to go to school kids and go buy oh, an Ornette Coleman record. And, you know, I was like, "Oh, I got it," and then get back in the car with my you know prize. But uh, so that's where you gr- you grew up in Lansing. <laughs> no, I grew up in Grand Rapids, but I went to sh- I went to school in Lansing. <laughs> Busted. Undergraduate, <laughs> undergraduate only. But it was it was a cool. You know, Lansing was an important jazz center. You know, mm-hmm. Art Ensemble of Chicago lived in Lansing, and I played with all these cats that had played with um, Bill Evans, played with Cecil Taylor, and they were all living there. So, I mean, you know, you don't have yeah, to be in New York. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, like I, the bass player I played with um, in Lansing in a trio as a sophomore had lived with Bill Evans. So he said, oh, well, you know, when we do, you know, Gloria's step here, you know, you might want to think about the bridge. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you what kidding? an education. Though. Oh, yeah, yeah. And well, and to have, you know, as a 20-year-old, to have a 40-year-old go, oh, here's how the master did it. Or here's what the master practiced. And I saw, this is what I saw. Yeah. Sort of witnessing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just, but this is, you know, I think that's. That's kind of the oral heritage of of um, of jazz, anyway. You know, and I'm kind of playing playing with that game a little bit by writing out the music and saying, "Well, see, it's legitimate. It's written out." You know, that's that's a little goofy. But on the other hand, I'm all for it because for some people, that's the only entryway. You know, and it, it does put it into the conversation in a different way than it was before. And Ornette Coleman mm-hmm. knew that this is like, how did this project start with you in like interviewing him yeah, and well, then this I mean, turning into a book that was, is really after he had made that harmelotic salad, I said, you know, um, so I, this is 2010. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Hey, uh, how about I come to, well, you know, I had, I had called him, uh, for my first book called better get it in your soul which is about jazz masses and actually about Canterbury House, actually. That's kind of what it was really about. Um, And because I wanted, I was talking about harmelotics as a uh, metaphor for, guess what, Um, love, (laughs) you know, and also as a metaphor uh, for the way that music could happen in a liturgy because uh, uh, the kind of music that happens in a, in a church or any kind of worship situation says a lot about who's, invited and also it says something about who's loved who they believe god actually does love and who god doesn't love and so in the music mm-hmm. well if you say you 
I've I've been I've been in churches enough like during February during Black History Month to hear like Negro spirituals slaughtered. You know, like what's that about? You know, like come on, man, you wouldn't slaughter Mozart, I don't think. Like, come on, step up. Or um, so it's not knowing, yeah. like having enough respect to mm-hmm. to get a a right to approach it. If you in the if, way that you can with your soul, even approaching what, it, what you have, yeah, yeah. If you're even approaching it, if you're even honoring that music in the first place, and not playing some, you know, British junk or whatever, you know, uh-huh. some British pub tunes. With, oh, don't knock the limeys. Yeah. No, just kidding. I know, <laughs> no, but the the idea of taking a a British pub tune, putting kind of Jesus lyrics on it, and saying that's the highest we can attain in terms of enlightenment or sonic beauty or expression of love for right. all humanity it says a certain thing about which humanity is being loved and that's um kind of out of context for this country at least i would i'm pretty sure yeah that's yeah. right okay yeah well i'm just I, i'm thinking i think i'm getting caught up in it too much i'm like would it be just the footballers what would it be <laughs> the soccer players i don't yeah, know yeah no. no 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 but okay but but going but so anyway. so that was and that was your first yeah, book so was sort was, of it, yeah, so I called him up and talked to him, and, and it was cool. And I realized that um, while he wore me out uh, mentally talking to him, because he he's just he really only speaks in metaphors, um, and and yet there was some really heavy truth that I was getting from him that I was not able to get really anywhere else. Well, it feels like know. it's an opening. It's a way of mm-hmm. having a an exchange or a dialogue that's just all open well and you know for space for you well to give myself absolutely no credit i'm just crazy enough to understand him and i would think that's probably what's going on here i'll admit that i don't care but um but yeah and so i i said over the harmonics it's not crazy okay okay well you know it's 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 crazy or it's yeah whatever Enlightened or yeah, open? Well, or? you know, I, I like what Robert Persig says about craziness, you know, like, well, it's kind of um, like people that are thinking in a kind of far out way. That's our, our modern version of thinking the world is flat, you know, like, well, I don't want to go too far with that idea. But yeah, maybe we do want to go too far with that idea. Like somebody's got to. Yeah, Might well, as well be me. Well, if you go too far, <laughs> then it's not flat. It's round again. Yeah. Right? See, now there you go. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. (laughs) I need to go journal now. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so. (laughs) Where were we? Where were we? No. Where were we? (laughs) No. So at this, during the harmelodic salad, I just said, hey, can I come to your house and we can continue this because I'd like to do a longer um, kind of thing, maybe an article or something about harmelodics and about your theories. And yeah, anytime, anywhere, you know, he's just like. Well, you can access me from the universe any way you want. Okay, that involves flights and taxis, but I got this one. So, um, because where was he based at this point? In New York, yeah, in the Garment District. He had a really nice flat, gorgeous, gorgeous place. His paintings everywhere and great pool table. You know, like his only place of real sanity was the pool table. But, um, but I arranged for a, for a day that I was going to be there for a long time with his partner, Michaela. She generously made it all possible. And um, so most of the book is really from that one day when I just recorded and we hung out for six hours. And she kept coming around going, you guys are still at it? 
And I said, yeah, I don't really want to wear out my welcome. No, he's having a great time. He's having a great time. You know, let's keep it going. So it was really, there was a lot of fun. It was a lot of silliness and a lot of laughter, just a crazy amount of laughter. But yeah, we just went for it. But I think part of it was that I had already talked to him a lot beforehand and, and you know, got, I I knew I knew the points, you know, but I also could roll with the punches because when he goes when he goes out, he goes way out. And you have to be okay to be kind of in that not knowing ness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't. I think the the very few interviews that are out there of Ornette, um, there's a kind of preciousness, like oh, we got to knit this up in ten minutes or twenty minutes, and well, now <laughs> if you're going to hang out and talk to Buddha, would you say, listen, you know. Big B, uh, we've got five minutes to get, you know, can you just like, <laughs> just cut to the Four Noble Truths and, you know, we, <laughs> the, the sound bites. Yeah, then, you know. then we're going to break for a commercial. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, well, to live is to suffer, but uh, I've got so much more to say about that. You know, how would that go? You know, or to talk to a great Swami, which I did, and Swami Chinmayananda, and, and, and I said, you know, I wanted to talk to him about silence. And he started screaming at me and he said, how long can you stay here? And he was really trying to convince me to stay. This really incredible Swami He's just highly, highly revered. He said, I still have to show you the 20 arrows of enlightenment. And he's screaming, Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor. And he's like, he's really upset that I'm going to leave. But it was all out of love. He wanted to teach me, you know, and there I am going, can you hurry up? I'm on the clock. I've got to get back to, you know, classes start tomorrow. And, you know, so it was me that so what blew did you, it. Yeah, what? I what, went home. Um, <laughs> I know, oh. I know, I know, I know. Did you go back? Well, yeah. he he came here three, I think he lectured uh, at University of Michigan three different times. So I was able to see him and we corresponded. Did you, were you part of that, like inviting him here or just was it like um, serendipitous? My, the Acharya at the uh, Chinmayananda temple here in town was was the one that organized it all and and i was singing she was teaching me singing and so we would sing for them you know so it was cool crazy right <laughs> yeah yeah well and since we're sort of on the the uh, who you've spoken to you also talked with laurie anderson too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah ums asked me to interview her which was uh daunting <laughs> you know because she's kind of a major deal and really a rock star from my era, you know, and also um, super, super heavy. So how is that going to go? Oh, man, I studied like crazy. Well, the, UMS has asked me to, to interview oh, Ravi Shankar as well. And uh, is it Ryoji Ikeda? Oh, my word. you got to be kidding me. Um, so, that was nuts. So are but, these yeah. are these available for people to listen to? I don't really think they are, no. Uh, maybe the university must have an audio of them somewhere. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, okay. I've got them, but, you know, oh. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> huh. But, yeah. But the Laurie Anderson thing was cool. It was a lot of fun. But, you know, we talked about silence and Jesus a lot. And, and the hipsters in the audience are all dressed like Lou Reed and they smelled smoky. They were really upset. And they're like, this is not cool. <laughs> Sounds this good to me. This is not cool, man. This <laughs> is not cool. You know, talking about computers being silent. That's not what I came for. You know. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know yeah. what you came for, right? Well. Sometimes. <laughs> that's for damn sure. <laughs> Let's take a short break and then okay. we'll, we'll come back. Um, mm-hmm. Today on the program, Stephen Rush, his book, Free Jazz, Harmelodics and Ornette Coleman. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Stephen Rush is here. Free Jazz, Harmelodics, and Ornette Coleman um, out with Routledge Press this year. Um, so, the music. Yeah, that was Mob Job from what the bass player Charlie Hayden said was the most important jazz record ever made. I'm good. <laughs> I'll go with that. Um, the 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 fun part for those listeners that don't that know that know Pat Metheny but don't necessarily know Ornette. That was Pat Metheny on guitar there, you know. And what's cool in in the in the book that there's a transcription of that particular tune, and the and Pat's stuff is like, you know, it's almost Jim Hall, uh, Kenny Burrell, perfectly in in the key, and Ornette is playing violin, and it's all <laughs> over the place. And you go, no way, Ornette didn't know how to play. I mean, for one thing, he played it left-handed, and it's like, come on, Ornette, you know. But if you look at the just to sound like a music theory professor for a minute, because I also am. Why not? Why not? Um, well, actually, the pitch material reinforces the key center just perfectly if you look at it. Uh, but he's also, you know, improvising with timbre and range, which is something that, well, I don't know, Chopin nocturnes do that too. So, you know, in I think the analysis of these solos in the book use kind of Western practices of analysis and apply them to free jazz. Um, and maybe that's, uh, and that's strategic. Hmm. Well, I, I didn't want to come up with a whole new system and I, you know, I'm, I'm only, you know, got another 20 years here, so I'm not going <laughs> to, no. I, and plus, well, I and think you want to communicate it, right? You're yeah. building a bridge. You're trying to have, have ways in for people. Like right. you said, that's why the musical notes are mapped out on sure. the page. And well, you know, James Baldwin could have come up with his own language, you know, like, Sort of like Joyce did, or right. or Stein, or, or, or so, yeah. You know, but instead James Baldwin didn't, and so that hit harder in a certain way. And so I think what this does, what I hope to do in the book anyway, was to hit hard with everything I had from a snooty conservatory education and attack the race problem of free jazz. Ooh, I just said that. Yeah, it's okay. I meant it. Yeah. Can you? <laughs> Say more. Well, yeah. I mean, I I think it's the fact of the matter is that this stuff isn't really talked about, you know, in schools. Um, in in I, I explain this in the book too that the sort of the inclusion of jazz in the um, in the academy was done in a really stupid way, um, focusing on harmony and not on melody and rhythm. Which, if you think about African music. Or Chinese music or Indian music, the focus is on rhythm and its focus is on melody. So what's going on there? So inadvertently, there was kind of a Bach model, which Bach is sort of the basis for a lot of what goes on in music schools, uh, the basis of the theory curriculum. Um, a lot of that stuff, if you apply it to jazz, makes no sense at all in terms of how the music is actually played or what it's actually about. So it's like, oh, well, we analyze these chords and we're really getting somewhere. And then we know what scales to play against the chords or modes to play against the chords. Then we're done. Well, except that that really leaves Africa out of the whole picture of jazz, which is really... That seems know, problematic. Can I just call it... Well, I just call it stupid <laughs> or racist, racist, you know. Yeah. Um, and so there, I think the 
idea of harmelotics takes it to that other space. I mean, he's he's using harmo in a really funny way, like harmony as world harmony. It's just a metaphor, man. It's not really. Oh well, let's see. We're all we all have our own harmony, which is kind of a dumb way to think about harmelotics. We all have our own harmony. Um, <laughs> Instead of a well, collective ethos well, of harmony. A, okay, because there's like this, the self, there's the multiplicity of self within sure. all of us. But you're saying it's we need to think of it as the collective yeah. more, more well, the inclusively, collective, more broadly. Well, the collective allowing us to all um, kind of authenticate individually, make our own sounds, make our own contributions to the sound, and that together making something that's actually quite interesting and beautiful. And and I hope I've been pointing out, like, the very first uh, track that, that Steph played, the Dancing in Your Head, it's, it's cute, it's fun, it's not, like, daunting or right. angry. It could have been angry. He had every justification, and, and privately he was angry about race. Of course he was. Um, but that's not what the music is about. You know, the music is, is playful and... Um, and, and joyful and kind of folkish in a lot of ways, you know. It, it also, it's, it reminds me of an evening that we have once a year at the station called the Night of Noise mm-hmm. around fundraiser mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And it's like everybody Yay. doing everything with any kind of like sound making. Mm-hmm. It all belongs. <laughs> apparatus or body, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a celebration. Sure, um, sure. So could we hear um, a, a, a short piece of the prose so that we, maybe from the interview, one sure. of the one of the parts of the interview, Steve. Sure, sure. And and this this will give you a, an idea of kind of how I would speak back to Ornette and he would, he would kind of guide me. Um, I'll, I'll have to somehow denote that uh, I'm speaking Ernest's voice, and then I'm speaking my own. But he says, oh, wait, no, this is me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Honestly, Ornette, I think it's the most beautiful piece ever written, talking about the piece, piece, that we just heard a w- little bit ago. And he says, I know this, and I'm trying to get that same concept into, into the natural soul of emotion. Emotion doesn't have to be pleased. It has to make contact. That's the problem. If you make contact with something, it's going to do something to let you know. I want to hear on the other side. I've come to be where I am not. Well, and you were talking about the listener as well as the improviser, I said. And he says, I don't like to think of playing in a key because there's only 12 notes to identify the keys. Isn't that true? He sounds like Plato talking to Socrates. (laughs) And I go, well, yeah, those are the names we use. And he says, I know, but what I'm saying, we have seven notes to each key. We only have 12 keys, but they're all coming from the same notes. That means you have a C natural on the violin and a C natural on the trumpet, and you have two different Cs. And I say, yeah, you've got two completely different things. And he goes, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. But the people that are trying to improvise something, they can't use both of those Cs for the same purpose. They have to find which one is going to yield to the other C, but it won't work that way. I mean, the true matter of sound, sound comes from the heart and the soul and the person's emotions. And those emotions, when it comes to that, and he kind of thinks and reflects, and he says, so you know how the scale works and you know how the changes work. The changes work in one way and thirds and fifths and whatever. The scales work in two ways, the dominant and the tonic. So it's eternal me talking this way. It's like sound and light and emotion and pain and brain. All of those are the same, have the same movement in relationship to what we demand when using them. And now that's all I respect. I go over there and I say, I like this light. And I have some reason to say, well, I like it. 
Because if I didn't, all lights would be equivalent to that. So let me see. C, E, and G. This is where it gets really crazy, by the way. So the C, E, and G. What makes you think that anywhere there is a C where you ain't and G can become a C? And I go, sure, if you play a G on a French horn, then the G is a C. I'm like, oh, I got this one, you know. I went to college and stuff. And he says, two qualities of life that everybody has to respond to, life and death. Ain't nothing between that. You've got to do it. Oh, man, you said it. The problem is life and death, they can see each other, but we can't see none of it. I say, no, that's right. We are barely participants. And he says, well, I know that's coming. I let all the notes become what they want to be, and it truly works. It truly works. All the keys are the same resolution of any recipe for any idea. C to F sharp is a flat fifth, but F sharp to C sharp is a perfect fifth. Does that mean C and C sharp are dominating the fifth? And it's true. I learned that about 10 years ago. And I mean, it just goes on and on like this. And let's see. He says, um, I, I say, well, what about that George Russell thing and the whole um, tritone substitution? He says, that's because you have a C here and an F sharp here. But that's because of the hands, not the notes. That's why I'm saying that. I've seen it done. I've done it myself. And people don't know the difference. And I say, well, but people talk about that. They talk about it big time, that C is the same as an E flat. Well, now that's a problem. That, for me, is exactly when it becomes a race issue. And he said, but A to C is a minor third. But C to E flat is a minor third. You hear what I said, right? E flat and A are the same distance apart, but A to C is a minor third. C to E flat is a minor third. And I said... So it's just a matter of naming, hoping I'm right. And he said, but I mean they're both unison. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> and this is where people go, well, see, Ornette just doesn't understand transposition. But eh, he kind of does. I think he understands. Yeah. I think that is. He's got it. He understands. Steve, thanks so much for talking with sure. me today. Let's call it part one, okay. shall we? All right. <laughs> um, today on Living Writers, Stephen Rush, his book, Free Jazz, Harmelodics, and Ornette Coleman. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time.